Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 75. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hello, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm super excited to have a guest with me, David Emerson, who is the director of the Trauma Sensitive Yoga Program at the Justice Center at JRI, the Trauma Center at JRI. David, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Laura. Thanks. So can we start off by you just talking a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Let's see. I come at this as a yoga teacher, but I was a social worker for my first work out of college, my first jobs for about 10 years. And in, in those roles, I, you know, I did kind of milieu work. And, and uh, to me, I think of it as sort of frontline social work in a sense with mostly with youth, kids getting into trouble in their home communities, in, the, in their cities, more or less. And uh, the kinds of things I did were outward bound type stuff, project adventure, Mm-hmm. You may be familiar with, which really what it was, was allowing, give, making space for these young kids who were getting into trouble to get out of their environment and into something new. And this was the woods, climbing trees, rowing boats, you know, uh, breaking up fights, climbing more trees. And it was just a remarkably successful intervention, if you like. And But I never heard the words trauma. This was 25 years ago or so. Never heard the word trauma, really. But um, now, looking back, knowing that those, that's what we were working with, kids with pretty complex trauma. Yeah. And But it was the physicality of it that was so successful, you know. And um, for me, I felt like I wanted to take, take it to the next step, which meant going to school to become a clinician. And so I went to the Smith School for Social Work for – one year and ended up dropping out. It just wasn't for me, the the psychodynamic psychotherapy, um, trying to put words to these sorts of experiences and feeling like that was my job, you know, to try to help people find language for things and see if I could come up with some good language. I just, I never got comfortable with it. And I, I could see people who were really good at it. And I, you know, I work with clinicians 
very closely and I have great respect for good clinicians. It's just, it wasn't comfortable for me. So I just went down the road of Tai Chi and yoga practices, uh, which were really satisfying for me personally and um, found a way to kind of bring it all together through uh, a connection with Bessel van der Kolk and the trauma center. That's awesome. And, you know, Bessel van der Kolk is the person who I really became convinced about the effects of yoga therapy on trauma survivors when I heard him speaking about it at the Psychotherapy Networker in 2015. He said, I think he said, basically, in 10 years, no one will be doing talk therapy. It's all going to be yoga therapy. And I was like, wow, like, I mean, that's a really big statement to make. And of course, you know, he was just sort of generalizing. But when I came across your book, I was like, oh, yeah, this is someone I definitely want to talk to because, you know, if you and Bessel van der Kolk are working together, then you're doing exactly what he was specifically referring to. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the project was, from my perspective as a yoga teacher, I didn't want to kind of go it alone. And the yoga world can really doesn't have any rules. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible for yoga teachers to make claims that have no basis, no, no empirical basis at all. And I felt like I knew enough about clinical sort of boundaries and uh, that the, the professionalism that comes with licensure from that perspective that I, I and also the seriousness of trauma that yeah. I, I definitely didn't want to go alone. And to, I, I just happened to be lucky enough to live close to the trauma center. And um, so I, I sought out Bessel and, it was fortuitous. He was starting his own yoga practice and uh, was interested in this from his point of view. So it really worked out well. But it was about, from me, from my side, having real oversight from clinical people who would be able to say, this isn't working. You know, uh, this isn't working and we, we don't want to do this. <laughs> it's basically, you know, some skepticism. Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to do any harm unintentionally. Exactly. Yeah. This is too serious to to kind of play around with. Exactly. So can you tell the audience, what is trauma-sensitive yoga? Um, Well, it's a, first of all, it's a, it's language that we coined, but it's also language that a lot of other people are using besides us now. So you'll find people saying they do trauma-sensitive yoga and it may be very different from our model. Mm. So to distinguish it, we we call our model trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga, TCTSY. And so I'll really, I'll speak about that model for your listeners. And in that case, what TCTSY is, is a yoga based intervention for complex trauma. And um, so underneath what we do with yoga is a real significant focus on trauma theory. So we're very much grounded in trauma theory and then using yoga forms to address what, what we feel are the, some of the key elements uh, um, of the suffering that's related to complex trauma. Yeah. So can you talk about what the theoretical underpinnings are in a little bit more detail? Yeah. I mean, so on paper, there are three. There's trauma theory, attachment theory, and neuroscience. But um, the way we feel, you know, um, in terms of trauma theory, how it's evolved since 1980, you really can't speak about complex trauma without talking about 
attachment and relational dynamics and uh, neuroscience at this point. So MRI and fMRIs have really had an impact uh, on how we understand trauma as well. So I would say the two key pieces underneath what we do are come from Judith Herman and then from Bessel van der Kolk. And from Judith Herman is really an understanding of power dynamics and interrelational power dynamics. And so for, she says that no intervention that takes power away from the survivor can possibly foster her recovery, no matter how much it appears to be in her immediate best interest. And so thinking about building an intervention like this, having to ha- be fully devoted to not manipulating power in the context of the uh, whatever the treatment is. So we really pay attention to that. Uh, for us, the question is, how do we communicate that we're, we want to share power and not be manipulative or coercive? And then from the other, from Bessel, from that side, is a statement that he makes a lot, which is the goal of treatment for trauma is to help people live in the present. And I think on the surface that can sound almost kind of like new agey in a certain way, like just be present. Mm-hmm. But he's a neuroscientist, so the, the present moment experience is connected to neurophysiology and particularly something called interoception, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talk about. Yeah. But we're really attending to an actual practice of what does it mean to be present that we have uh, you know, filtered through um, Van der Kolk's work over the past couple of decades. So can you talk a little bit more about that, that practice of being present and how it's related to neuroscience? Yeah, it's actually a very practical thing. Um, there have been some researchers, uh, neurologists, neuroscientists over the past couple of decades that have identified parts of the brain that connect our visceral experience, our felt experience in our body to our awareness. These regions, these brain regions are referred to as interoceptive regions or interoceptive pathways. And they're, they're really like I think of them as a non-neuroscientist, I think of them as train stations that carry the information from our body to our awareness. So it's feeling uh, everything from our heartbeat to muscles contracting and extending, pressure, hunger is an interoceptive dynamic. From neuroscience, we get a, a picture of these regions in the brain that relay this information. And then we have trauma specialists, people like Ruth Lanius and Bessel van who whose work indicates that these parts of the brain are underactive for people who have experienced chronic complex trauma. So if you put that together with the, the clinical evidence that's evolved over the past 20 years, it has a lot to do with patients' experience in their bodies. Some of the language that clinicians use, even before there was neuroscience, was Difficulty localizing skin contact, difficulty being touched, hmm. difficulty explaining internal states. These, are, these were recognized um, symptoms of complex trauma even before there were, was any sense of neuroscientific evidence. You put that all together for us and we think, wow, maybe a lot of the suffering for our patients is a, a very inconsistent experience with their body. You know, either they're feeling nothing at all sensorially, nothing at all, or overwhelmed with sensation and they can't really place exactly where it's coming from. 
maybe a lot of these symptoms we see in our patients, self-harm, self-medication, chronic sort of involvement in, in relationships that seem dangerous from the outside. Maybe there's something about them where people are trying to manage having their body and an unreliable, you know, their experience with their body is unreliable and these may be ways to manage that lack of reliability. So the question for us was like, can we practice feeling our body, use yoga forms for that, and will that have an impact on um, these interoceptive regions of the brain? And then potentially the, some of the suffering that's related to trauma. Yeah, so... I still want to ask you about the other two theoretical pieces, but can you talk, since this seems to be a natural point to bring it up, about your study that you guys at JRI did? Yeah, the study funded by the National Institute of Health. So when we, when we get a grant like that from you know taxpayers, we have to study PTSD symptomatology because it's the only medical diagnosis we have for trauma. Yeah. So. So we looked at PTSD symptoms, but our subjects in the cohorts were women who experienced chronic childhood physical and sexual abuse. So we really we were looking at complex trauma, interrelational trauma, um, but everybody had to qualify for PTSD. Right, and we know there are many trauma survivors who have an immense amounts of traumatic history that don't necessarily fit the criteria for PTSD. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we, we really, you know, we wanted to study our patients at the trauma center who really, for the most part, are people with complex trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, not everybody has PTSD, but we did need to look at uh, those symptoms in order to satisfy the, the grant kind of parameters. Sure. So the study itself, what was published in the, the uh, psychiatric journal was looking at PTSD symptomatology. We also did a very small cohort where we did brain scans. And um, very small, just to kind of sample our, our hypothesis, was, which was that we can activate or bring more activity to interoceptive regions through this approach to yoga. And this, the, the picture that we took uh, is in Bessel's book, the body keeps the score. Okay. And it did indicate that it looks like we, we may be able to induce, create more activity in, in some key interoceptive regions. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. I mean, and, and I'm glad you want to talk about the other theoretical underpinnings because this isn't, um, it, the way we're talking about it now, it sounds like TCTSY is kind of, mechanical mm -hmm. in a certain way. And, and there's, there's stuff that's more important. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but we really are interested in this neuroscience and I, we feel like it is a very important piece. Yeah. One of the great things about the advances in neuroscience is it backs up what people who do trauma work and who have developed these, you know, non CBT approaches to treating trauma have understood for a long time. So it's just sort of a matter of proving to people where, you know, you want to say, see, here's evidence that this does make a difference other yeah. than just, you know, the anecdotal evidence that trauma survivors and clinicians have been seeing for years. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, if we can, if we can kind of approach it that way and not get too captivated by 
you know, the, the, the fancy machines. Yeah. Then we're, then I think we can, it's good. It'll be useful, but that's the danger. You know, we want to remember what trauma is fundamentally from our perspective is a, a relational thing. It's about relationships. Yes. So we need to really, we in our work have to stay focused on that and not get lost. I agree. In technology. Yeah. Yeah. So please go ahead and talk about the other two pieces. And I think that's going to be really captivating for the audience to hear about too. Well, from the perspective of, of attachment theory, which is really the study of, of relationships, um, it started off to be the study of primary relationships, the mother-infant dyad, um, but has expanded to be, uh, for example, in our what has impact on us is something like the therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of work that's come out of that, that research has been the most important dynamics for successful or success in therapy is when the patient or the client describes their therapist as warm and empathetic. And so um, we can see relationships kind of front and center. It's not the technique so much as describing your therapist as warm and empathetic where you see the the correlation to the best results. From trauma theory, for me, it's it's Judith Herman and her articulation of interrelational power dynamics. I think she's done the best job, at least for me, in terms of articulating what trauma is, which is about power. So, you know, she uses the word captivity to talk about her uh, patients, adult women, captive and abusive relationships. Um, and so we can kind of see like what's happening for our patients is a, is a chronic exposure to lack of power and all the complexity that's involved in, in negotiating relationships where you have less power for whatever reason, a whole, whole range of reasons, and that the person with more power is either manipulating their power or incapable of sharing it for, whole again, a whole variety of complicated reasons. And what, it, what happens to people when that's their primary relational experience? And so when it comes to like yoga, for example, just for our piece, yoga can be a situation that reinforces a lack of power. A lot of yoga teachers get used to telling people what to do. You know, put your leg here, raise your arms, take a deep breath. Kind of seems benign, you know, well, it's just where to put your foot and your arm, just when to breathe. But in the context of trauma, it's Judith Herman saying anything that takes power away from somebody can't possibly foster recovery. So our relationships in the yoga, in our yoga practice are about sharing power. And we can talk about how we do that, but um, it's, to me, I think uh, to us in the program, it's the most important thing is that we're, we're never going to tell anybody what to do or what to feel. Yeah. That's, that is, you know, empowerment isn't even about giving the client the power. It's knowing that they are the one who is in control of themselves and their bodies throughout the process. And, you know, that may be a, an entirely new experience for someone who is chronically abused throughout childhood. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's one, I think there's an interesting and, and challenging piece, which is a yoga teacher or a therapist, 
for example, needs to recognize that they inherently have power in the relationship. You know, they're the one behind the desk, you know, with their degrees on the wall, or if it's a yoga teacher, their mat is positioned a little bit differently. They're talking most of the time. They actually have power in the relationship. I feel like what we've learned at the trauma center is we have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Then, because if we were to pretend that that wasn't true, that would also be manipulative in a way that would ultimately be taking power away because everybody else recognizes that we have power. Yeah. Like our students know, we just have to acknowledge it. And then it's like, what do we do next? What do we do next? And so for a yoga teacher, it's, you know, we get to start using words. Uh, For example, that's one way to do it. And the words we use are always invitational. And by using invitational language consistently, we can start to communicate with people that we're interested in sharing power. You know, that we're not here to tell you what to do. We're actually here to have a shared experience where nobody's coerced, nobody's manipulated. Yeah. Something that is in your book that really resonated with me is that in trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga, the clinician does the yoga forms with the client. Yeah. So that's, there's a, there's a framework that we call shared authentic experience. And I I would say even more important than language is the fact that the facilitator is willing to engage in the process. And the challenge, I think, for the facilitator is to acknowledge, you know, that someone is coming to you for help. There's a, they're paying you. There's a power differential that's inherent. But when we do the work, we are sharing power as, as fully as possible. And, and so the shared authentic experience is a way to really, um, you know, I'm using a sort of walking around language here. We don't want to be manipulative in any way. We're not trying to pretend or fake people into thinking we're sharing power. This work is most successful when we're really actually engaged in doing the same thing together, but being responsible for ourselves. So just take a yoga form, for example, okay? Some yoga classes, uh, the yoga teacher is giving instructions about a form, telling people what to do and not doing it. Maybe walking around the room, maybe doing something else. In the case of TCTSY, we're facilitating an experience and also having our own experience. And that experience needs to be very totally authentic. When we invite somebody to try something, we're inviting ourselves. When we invite someone to notice what it feels like in their body, we're also inviting ourselves. And I think personally, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really have evidence for this other than the fact that other than the evidence we have in general for the program, but the more we can have a shared authentic experience, the more successful this is, this is because trauma calls for authenticity. You know, it doesn't, trauma doesn't respond well to fancy techniques or manipulation, at least for our, our clients. Well, no, and manipulation is often re-traumatizing for especially people who've experienced childhood abuse, whether, you know, emotional, physical, sexual, you know, it's, that's, that's an inherent piece of it. So I can see that that's completely mal, you know, like 
I don't know what word I'm looking for, but it's completely the opposite of the goal of what you're talking about and trauma work in general. Yeah, it's a little bit scary because we, you know, I'm just speaking for myself as a yoga teacher, as an adjunctive care provider here, but um, I think it I think it applies to anyone who's going to bring some TCTSY in, including therapists and psychiatrists. We have to acknowledge that we really can't control outcomes for people. Mm-hmm. And if we get in, if we get into the business of trying to control outcomes and make people, you know, calm down or make people have plans for the future, then we start to manipulate people. And manipulation, like you said, is is at the core of trauma in the first place. And if we do that, it speaks to the traumatized part, you know, instead of the part that isn't that it has power and can cultivate power, which is in our case is just about making choices, just keeping it very present. What do I want to do with this form? How far do I want to twist? How far do I want to lift my leg? But we're turning that attention inward to figure out what we want for our body, not what someone else might want from the outside. Which could be a completely new experience. Yeah, I think it could be. And I think that's probably where, I mean, I should say we partner with clinicians. Uh, we really were, we present this as an adjunctive treatment to really to treatment as usual because there's an art form to not overwhelming people with too many choices or too much interoception. You know, we want to, we want to try to find the, I mean, kind of dosage for each person that's, that's useful. There's some clinical quality to that, I would say. Mm-hmm. We can be wrong. I mean, we could we could make an assessment like this person can manage X number of choices and this level of complexity around interoceptive sensation. And we might be wrong. And that's where the relationship comes in. You know, we, we can we can be wrong and someone can tell us we're wrong and then we can try to adjust. Right. And. And what you said about the shared authentic experience and attachment theory, how it's relational, that all goes together because it's the trust in that therapeutic alliance that allows the client to be willing to try something new and the therapist trusting him or herself also to try something new with that client, not knowing if it's going to be effective or if it's going to, how it's going to turn out, you know, that's pretty vulnerable. And we do kind of want all of us who become therapists, you know, we usually go into it because we want to be the one who knows how to help the other person. So a lot of us have a pretty strong sense of discomfort with not knowing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. True. True. And it makes sense. I mean, so the, one of the questions that I would put out there for all of us is, can we be more, this is a little bit of a paradox, but the suggestion maybe that we might be more effective if we are less attached to outcomes. If we really want to help people, maybe we need to back away from trying to control what happens a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're onto something there. I mean, you know, if you can tell yourself that, I mean, we're all about outcomes measures, but if you can tell yourself that this is a method that is known to produce positive outcomes for clients. So why not just let the process happen? And then at some point go back and say, 
was there change, you know, instead of trying to force a certain type of change to happen. I know, I know. It's really kind of weird because we have this study that was funded by NIH and published in a peer-reviewed psychiatric journal, which is really important, but which, you know, it it appears to be all focused on outcomes. But the, the technique, if you like, the practice itself is to not be focused on outcomes, to be, like as Vanderkoek says, be focused on being present, to really practice just what's happening now. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a cool paradox, but it's it's one that we have to kind of get our heads around a little bit. Yeah, it is, it is a shift, and I think it's a positive one. I'm so excited about the direction that trauma therapy is going, and um, again, just so excited about the work you're doing, and so glad that you can talk to us about it. So, can you um, talk a little bit about why TCTSY? is a good option for people who have complex trauma in particular? I guess I would think of it as, as an option. And, and then people, it's an option we, we want to make available. And then people can just sort of decide for themselves, I suppose. But the idea would be that trauma, as we understand it, and the ther- therapists and clinical people have been out, out in front on this for decades. People have been trying to treat PTSD since 1980 have been trying to treat trauma as PTSD since 1980. And so clinicians have learned that that doesn't work for all of their people with complex trauma. So they've been out in front and trying to figure out what to do. Somatic practices like sensory motor uh, psychotherapy or somatic experiencing, Hakomi method, others have been moving into the space suggesting we need to engage the body in, in, in some way. If we want to treat people, we can't just speak to the, the frontal lobe. We need to do something with the body. So in that way, TCTSY is, is right in line with those somatic practices. For me, I think what, what I enjoy the most, I think anybody who does this kind of work enjoys the most, is, is that we don't in order for it to be successful, we don't have to, um, we don't focus on outcomes. So, so much of treatment, uh, whether it's hospitalization or medications or uh, any kind of cognitive behavioral techniques are, are focused on outcomes, trying to get something at the end. And for our patients, that focus, I think what if, when I try to listen to people from, you know, uh, from my perspective, that focus has made people feel like folks don't understand what it's like to live in a traumatized body, you know, that it's not about forms and numbers. It's about skin and bones and, and muscles, and, you know, my body. So I feel like TCTSY meets people a little bit closer to where trauma really is, you know, um, which is ultimately nonverbal. It's ultimately very visceral, very deep, and not something that maybe, okay, at least our study suggests that maybe it's not something that everybody has to explain. Some people may really benefit from uh, having a narrative piece to their trauma treatment, but it may be that if we if we focus on that as kind of the sole outcome, uh, we might be missing 
some some of what, or maybe even the heart of what trauma is, which is is very physical. So I think TCTSY kind of honors that, and in particular with our model, we we don't even attach it to trauma. So, for example, if somebody's having an experience in their body, let's say some pain or sensation in their neck or shoulders, for us uh, that is about what's happening right now and not about like that that might be attached to some traumatic experience in the past. So we, we don't even focus on it in, in that way. Oh, let's figure out what's happening in your shoulders because it's connected to trauma. From our perspective, it's just let's, let's practice noticing what that feels like in your shoulders, whatever that is. And then what do you want to do next? Do you want to stay with that? Do you want to change that? Do you want to experiment with a different form? So it's to me, the satisfaction of it is is in, um, to be honest, is in not dwelling on trauma, actually. It's, we have to be f- really deeply trauma-informed, I think, to be successful facilitators. But the, the practice itself is to not be dwelling on trauma and the ideas of trauma. You know, It's like, what's happening in my body right now? What do I want to do next? And then it's over. Mm. Yeah, so that is present-focused. Yeah, and I have a luxury, you know, as as in, in my role as a non-clinician, I don't tend to know people's trauma story or history. I might know general some general things, but I don't need to know details. So in a way, like my ro- role being there, I I um, I don't have to get to dwell on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know the story isn't necessarily the important part. Some people do really strongly want to tell their story and they they want it to be witnessed. And there's a lot to that. Yeah. But that's not the be all end all for everyone. Yeah. Right. And exactly. And, and so I would never, I would never uh, want to take that away from anybody. I would never suggest that it's not, there's no value in telling you the story. What we hear from people in our program, since everybody's in therapy, is going to the yoga class or the yoga session, knowing that we don't have to talk about trauma, but that the, the facilitator is understands trauma, you know, has an understanding of what's happening. That's where people find some value, you know, and then in the actual practice, shared authentic experience, interoception, choice making. Uh, but we do hear from people that, you know, Knowing I don't have to talk about trauma, but that the person is trauma-informed adds a level of comfort that's, that's really used, that seems to be really useful. So, mm-hmm. in other, like some people will come to yoga classes and then go to their therapy session right after. And so, they have a place to talk about trauma, if that's useful, and then they have a place to work with trauma in a, in a nonverbal way. Yeah, and what I love about working in the body to address trauma is that, you know, rather than in talking, is that so much of it is nonverbal and visceral, as you said, and people can feel, you know, it can be kind of reinforcing shame that they can't access the words. And, you know, I'm not doing this right, because I don't know how to describe it. I, I don't know what it is. Right, right. 
Exactly. Yeah, and shame is is a constant companion, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's trauma. It's always there, you know, and, and it's always there in the yoga session. You'll, you're you're never going to be good enough. You can't do this. It's always there, and it's deep. And then the facilitator needs to, I think, acknowledge that that companion in a way, and then also not speak to it as best we can by you know, asking people to evaluate their experience or connect it to their past or even to use their experience with the yoga form to think about the future. Like for me, one of the challenges is if somebody says, hey, this feels really good or it's the first time I felt calm in a while, then the yoga team, then my job is not to say, hey, the next time you feel upset, why don't you do this? Because that's a planning for the future. And that's really not what we do. We're, we're focused on being present. So somebody says, this feels great. We just, that's part of what's happening. You know, if somebody feels this is uncomfortable, that's part of what's happening. And we just kind of move with it, you know, with what actually is happening instead of using that information to assess the past or plan for the future. Yeah. And I think that may have something to do with the, your, your thoughts around shame which is if we try to use our body experience as it is now to make sense of the past or to plan for the future, that may be where it gets uh, a little bit, you know, where, where the shame piece can get a little bit more power. Mm. I mean, according to Vanderkolk, it's really, it really is about what's happening right now. So maybe we're actually trying to put something onto the experience that isn't, it either isn't there or isn't as important. In other words, like when I feel pain in my body or strain or something good in a yoga form, that's really what it is. It's not about how that reminds me of the past or helps me plan for the future. Right. It's it's about embodying your body. Yeah. In a way that, I mean, the, the way we're talking about it now, it, there is no real room for judgment. You know, it's just what's happening. And I do think that's something that the yoga world can offer. You know, the yoga world at its best really is supposed to be non-judgmental experience. And I think that non-judgment comes from being present and not thinking about the past or the future. Yeah, like everything else, uh, the westernized version makes it, you know, for for many of us, a competition and how how well someone, how flexible someone is and how well they can stretch and, you know, what we're wearing and how dedicated to our practice we are and if we're breathing correctly, but that's not really what it's about. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if I, if I only do this form the right way, then I'm going to be spiritually enlightened. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of undercurrent, you know, in, in, in typical yoga classes. And that's basically what it is. If I can just do the form right, get the right alignment, then I will have no more suffering and I'll be an enlightened person. And the yoga, I think the yoga apparatus encourages that kind of thinking. And, uh, and it's probably driven by, you know, money. Mm-hmm. But underneath, yoga offers this thing called non-attachment to outcomes. And non-attachment to outcomes just means... What that, but Vanderkolk is saying, which is the goal of treatment of trauma is to be present. It's not to plan for the future. So can I read a couple sentences from your book, Trauma-Sensitive Yoga and Therapy? Yeah, sure. 
there's some there's a part that really really resonated with me when I was reading it and it says um, it's talking about a study and it says this and other research are pointing to the fact that trauma survivors are deeply disconnected from their core being the feeling of being embodied and this seems to be a great source of the suffering associated with complex trauma and PTSD. In essence, this research on the brain suggests that traumatized people do not have a reliable self, a feelable self, a foundation from which to safely experience themselves, relationships, and the world around them. So, and skipping a sentence uh, after that, it says, I would suggest that living with an unfeelable and unpredictable body is one valid way to explain what complex trauma is. I just think that's really powerful because the experience of having complex trauma is it's not a set of symptoms that's in the DSM-5 or any version of the DSM so far even though you know we try to capture through some of the different concepts like complex trauma chronic PTSD or complex PTSD developmental tra- trauma disorder that experience is something that is extremely hard to put into words and that when people haven't felt what it's like to be embodied, they don't even know what it is to explain what's not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. No, I know. And and it, it does point to the fact that having, you know, are we ever going to get the perfect diagnosis into the DSM? You know, what we're talking about are un, unwordable things, you know, mm-hmm. they really are, but they're knowable things. And then like, where is the knowing? Well, it's in our bodies. What if there can be people involved in treatment who, who understand or are willing to try to understand? Um, I feel like I've, I've learned most of what I know definitely from our students and I'm still trying to understand, but I feel like I have an inkling and you know, part of that knowing is that, you know, there's no language ultimately for this. It's a, it's a body thing. And, and the, then we can draw on people like Antonio Damasio, who's I'm thinking of when you're reading those sentences, um, a neurologist who's not a trauma person, who talks about the fact that we, our core self is our, our sentient self, our mm-hmm. felt self. You get a neuroscientist like uh, Alan Craig, who, who titles his paper, The Sentient Self, and he's writing about interoception. And the mechanism of interoception is we know we exist because we feel our bodies. And feeling your body is, is ultimately a wordless thing. So the challenge, I think, is to kind of gather this information, introduce it into the world of therapy, which is... You know, the treatment as usual is psychodynamic psychotherapy, which relies on language and, you know, psychoanalysis rely on language and see if we can kind of bring these two things together. You know, the, the, the treatment, the, the treatment domain, the, the, the therapy offers, and then some of this understanding of, of what it means to be a, an embodied being that comes from places like neuroscience. It's it's seems very complex to consider those those ideas, those concepts. You know, it's it's the way that we don't usually think about our bodies, our lives, our feelings. But um, you know, I I have so many clients who 
because I work primarily with people who have complex trauma, you know, they'll describe there's just something wrong with me. There's something missing or there's, you know, something's just not right with me. Um, Some of the pieces aren't there. And, you know, I think that's what they're talking about. Yeah. That disconnection from the sentient, sentient self. Somebody in our study, there's a paper called Claiming, the title includes Claiming Peaceful Embodiment by Allison Rhodes. And she did interviews with people in our study. And um, it's a really beautiful paper that people can find uh, if you Google Allison Rhodes Claiming Peaceful Embodiment. One of the things that someone said that, that's kind of stuck with me is she said, it was a long time for me to consider myself not an outline not an outline. So just kind of picture the visual of like a pencil outline of a body because she was talking about her embodied self. And then she said, you know, this yoga practice, stuff we're talking about, helped her to fill fill in the details, to define herself was the language she used. Mm. So I think, I just feel like there's a lot there, you know, about feeling like an outline. Uh, has That sounds a lot like trauma to me. You know, and treatment to me sounds a lot like filling in the details. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer and we're not going to be imperfect and, you know, we're not going to feel inadequate like or anything like that. It just means that we have, you know, we have details that are filled in about, you know, and it's very physical, it's very much an embodied kind of experience. Um, and then we can move through the world, you know, with a full, with a full, fuller self, fuller sense of self, experience of self. Yeah, it's it's very powerful. I'm I'm really in awe. So, in your book you say that clinicians can use your method whether even if we're not yoga teachers, how much training do people need to have before they can try to practice some of these things with clients? Well, to me clinicians but by virtue of the of the structure kind of around them, the licensure structure around them, can incorporate any material um, that that would be considered best practices. And we feel like we're in that ballpark now with the the research we've done, and then other people have used our model, and with some feasibility studies, other people have just gotten some larger grants to use our model. So we're gathering in this data that suggests. This could be considered a best practice or is in that realm now. Right. So, you know, therapists should be able to use it. And it's going to be about what what's comfortable for each person. I think the book is a way to, to have some, you know, pictures of forms, some language around some of the forms. Um, they're all seated, so they can be done in the office. And one or two forms would suffice, you know, for the, for the, the purpose here, which is, you know, using a yoga form to practice being in charge of your body, making choices, and experimenting, investigating interoceptive possibilities, shared authentic experience. You need one yoga form for that. So one thing therapists might do is is just start to try it, try it, practice it themselves, you know, maybe with colleagues or friends, family, try a couple of forms and, and you find one or two that feel comfortable share them with your clients if they're interested. So it's very accessible in that way. It's not it's not like um you need a lot of space. You can do it seated. Our clients can do it seated as well. And you don't have to be a yoga teacher. 
You know, it's just you need to understand it, practice it yourself, have the right, you know, stance that you're bringing into the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we've built this in a clinical setting, the trauma center, we feel like it's accessible for clinicians, you know, when they feel comfortable. I mean, you know, you wouldn't want to teach a yoga class because that would be sort of outside of your scope of practice unless you're a yoga teacher. But a therapist in the office bringing in a couple of yoga forms um, is, is totally reasonable when, when it's comfortable. And then you do offer more in-depth trainings as well in this method. Am I right? Yeah, we do, we do trainings all over the place, open to therapists and yoga teachers. That's wonderful. David, is there anything else you would like to tell us about your book before we finish up for today? I think we pretty much hit like the key, some of the key elements. Awesome. Well, I, I think your book is great. It's so, it just explains so clearly what this is all about and how clinicians can use it. There's all the research to back everything up that, you know, lets us know it's legit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point, you know, to the degree that we know we, we have, there's a perspective there. And the, the other thing I, that I like about science, the way that, you know, we practice it as people is you can always, there's always a possibility that we're wrong and someone can prove that. <laughs> you know what I mean? There you go. I feel like we have a coherence coherent story and um but yeah so it should be open for scrutiny too so can you share your website so that people can get more information about all of this sure it's traumasensitiveyoga.com and we have all of our yoga material there there's traumacenter.org which is more general okay. as well but either one wonderful well david emerson thank you so much for being on therapy chat today thanks laura enjoyed it Thank you for listening to my interview with David Emerson of the Trauma Center at JRI. I really enjoyed the discussion. It was absolutely fascinating to me, and I hope you liked it too. I'd love to hear your feedback, which you can leave on therapychatpodcast.com if you go to the green speak pipe message app that's on that page, you can leave me a message. I love hearing from you. It makes me so happy every time I get a message telling me that someone has recorded me some feedback. Next time, we are going to continue the conversation about yoga therapy for trauma and for other mental health issues as I'll be interviewing David Shanahoff-Kalsa, who is a very accomplished researcher and yogi who has done a ton of study on how kundalini yoga can be used to help people improve their mental health and well-being. So please stay tuned for that. It's another really interesting conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you for subscribing. By the time you hear this episode, you will have heard the announcement that Therapy Chat is celebrating its first birthday with a new app. So go to therapychatpodcast.com for all the information on the app, which may be live by the time you listen to this or it may not, but it's coming on Apple, at least on iPhones, at least not yet for Google Play. Sorry about that. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye. 
Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, I'm Laura Reagan, host of Therapy Chat, and I'm a trauma therapist in private practice outside of Baltimore. I specialize in helping clients with complex trauma related to childhood abuse or loss or attachment trauma during childhood. And I also specialize in helping survivors of sexual assault and childhood sexual abuse. So this is not easy work and it can be very isolating, which is why I created two online communities for trauma therapists. Trauma Therapists Unite is a Facebook group that is secret and only for licensed clinicians. And the idea of Trauma Therapists Unite is a community and space for support and sharing resources, getting connected with other trauma therapists, and building your own network of people who support you, whether they're local to your area or not. I've made some great friendships online with other therapists through Facebook, but not all of them are trauma therapists. So I think there's a need for a space where trauma therapists can gather. And then when you want to do clinical consultation, since we can't do that in a Facebook group, you can say, hey, is anybody available at five o'clock to talk on the phone about a tough case I had? Or, hey, I'm available and I would love to support anyone who's seeking consultation today. Or, hey, you're in my area. Let's meet for coffee and brainstorm about our work and share support and connection. So Trauma Therapists Unite is a free Facebook group for that purpose. It is not for clinical consultation because we cannot share client information in a Facebook group. We all know that. But because of the isolating nature of trauma work, especially when you're in private practice, but in agencies too, it can be very isolating because it's kind of the nature of trauma work. So with that isolating nature in mind, I created Trauma Therapists Unite for us to gather, support one another and share resources. And I hope you will join us. There is a process to join the group that includes providing information about your credentials and all of that information is in the group. So when you request to join, you'll see the rules. The other resource that I wanted to tell you about is a paid membership community, the trauma therapist community, which includes online clinical consultation off Facebook using a secure platform. 
of video sessions once a month and more if desired. And groups are also available in person. So check my website, lauraregan.lcswc.com slash join for all the information about the trauma therapist community. Thanks so much for your support. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com 